You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I really look forward to recording this podcast every week. It's like, I feel like you and I interact a lot on Twitch each week, like in chat, but this is really my own, like, only opportunity to actually talk to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless we're occasionally Skyping in on one of each other's drafts, that happens every once in a while. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, how are you doing? Doing well. Uh, just turned 30 few days ago oh my god happy belated birthday dude yeah getting old getting old fast when's your when's your <laughs> birthday it's coming up soon right uh yeah next month next month i will be joining you in the beleaguered ranks of old men turning 30 very very soon yeah so this week uh we should take a look at our trophy leaderboard update how you been doing on, on the old drafts well i'm currently in my last whatever six or seven drafts in a bit of a slump of like losing round one and either like oh twoing one twoing or two oneing um i guess those are the only three options but uh <laughs> <laughs> so go figure uh but yeah which is a little demoralizing uh, especially on stream when like trying to keep things upbeat but still maintaining a 67 percent win rate over i've now have 27 trophies and my match win to loss ratio is 179 to 89 how about you uh, I've been I'm similar similar to you. I'm in a bit of a rut. I keep losing round one and then going two one or the occasional one two here and there. For the first time in the format, my limited rating is below eighteen hundred. I had wow. been prior to the slump. I'd been hovering around the mid eighteen fifties. Um, so I've got eighteen trophies in a total of sixty eight drafts, and my overall record is one thirty two and sixty four for also a sixty seven percent win rate. Nice. I mean, that's still pretty solid, I would say. Yeah, I mean, we're both, it's not like we're, you know, people might listen to that, us talk about like being in a slump and say, well, you guys have a 67% win rate. But I think for us, it might be a little bit of a slump uh, compared mm-hmm. to your average drafter. So, I mean, I, I, I'm certainly used to my limited rating being above 1800. So anytime it, it dips below 1800, I really feel like I'm slumping pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, and when and when you're trying to get trophies, losing round one is, is a bit of a bummer. Yeah. You, you really feel your cursor hover over that drop button <laughs> it's like well I could, I could just draft right now but you could just go two one and like get yeah. packs like you can't do that no i know so yeah uh, for the episode this week uh we got a sweet one we're going to talk about how to draft uh multicolored, specifically four and five color it's known as four and five color garbage online which is weird because <laughs> i think the deck's actually like four and five color good stuff yeah yeah i think that when a deck like this is viable in a regular limited format, it's really fun. Like, it doesn't come up that often where you have a format where, like, lands, fixing, and ramp are all viable picks in draft. Like, last time it was around was probably Cons of Tarkir, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think it really leads to interesting deck building, interesting draft discussions, and a deck that doesn't come up that often in regular limited magic. So we're excited to talk about it today. Yeah, and I think your average, I think you and I are more comfortable drafting this deck than maybe your average drafter because of how much cubing we do yes um so like this drafting this deck in this format feels very similar to me to drafting like legacy cube or something where i'm like not worried at all about finding my lane initially and i'm just taking good cards and then i trust that the fixing will come around and and make make the deck all come together so while we'll be talking about this uh archetype in specific sense to our Devastation Amonkhet draft, this can be applied, this sort of general mentality can be applied to other limited formats where these kinds of decks are viable. Yeah, absolutely. This I'm sure this will come up again, and it certainly comes up in cube. So if you kind of take notes on, if you're not comfortable, if you're somebody that's not comfortable drafting a four or five color deck, this the recipe that we're going to set down for you in this episode will work in other formats. For sure. So we, we thought it'd be a really good idea to sort of show how maybe you get into this archetype through uh, a few picks of a draft at the round table. Ben, you had a a draft that you wanted to share with us that you did earlier. Yeah, for sure. So we'll go through, uh, we'll start off with pack one, pick one here. We're only going to go through the, rather than go through every single card, I mean, there's probably like eight to 10 cards in every pack, maybe more than that, that are just not in consideration for a pack one, pick one. Mm-hmm. So to save to save time and for the sake of discussion, I think it's more interesting to have in-depth discussion about three or four cards that might be in consideration than to go through every card in the pack. So we're going to narrow it down a little bit here for you. So car- cards in consideration here, 
First card is Torment of Venom. That's two black black for an instant. Put three minus one minus one counters on target creature and its controller chooses to lose three life, discard a card, or sacrifice a non-land permanent. How do you feel about that card? I think it's good. I think I'm now back to that being the best black common over Lethal Sting. I would agree also. Except I think sometimes there's sometimes there's mana considerations, right? But in pack one, pick one, I think Torment of Venom's higher, higher for me. Yes. But they're both still very close. So sometimes the double black versus single black is, is relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Other cards in consideration include Oketra's Avenger. That's the one in a white for a 3-1 that can exert to prevent all combat damage to it. Still the best white common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sifter Worm, 5 green green for a 7-7 seven, seven Trample. And when it enters the battlefield, you scry 3, then reveal the top card of your library and gain life equal to that card's converted mana cost. The old green mythic uncommon. I mean, this card is such a house. So powerful. It's very, very good. Another one is Consigned to Oblivion. That's one of the Aftermath cards. It's the blue-black Aftermath card. Consigned says one and a blue for an instant return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. And Oblivion is a sorcery with Aftermath and target opponent discards two cards. I think this card just keeps going up for everybody. Like, every time I see it cast in a deck that can cast both halves of it, it's just like a big problem it just sits in the graveyard and you have this sort of like mini game of like well i can't go down to two cards so i gotta keep lands or i can't play this spell and it's really really a very annoying card yeah i think we were initially down on it a little bit in the set review because mm-hmm. i remember you bringing up the point that the opponent could see it coming from a mile away and yeah. i think that actually that actually makes their life more complicated the fact that they know it's coming sometimes right for sure when i when i know oblivion's in my opponent's graveyard i'm i'm actively making different decisions and sometimes suboptimal ones because i know oblivion <laughs> might be coming and they're like they're not even on the like cast oblivion plan like they're like oh i got other things to do for my hand and you're playing around this card in their graveyard it's doing like triple duty right and then uh, the last card that's in contention here is our rare it's pride sovereign two and a green for a cat uh two two and it gets one plus one plus one for each other cat you control, and you can pay a single white tap and exert it to put two one one white cat tokens with lifelink onto the battlefield. I think this card is uh, really interesting in the context of today's episode because in other kinds of sets, this card might read at face value as a green white gold card, but in a set with the abundance of fixing that hour of devastation has it doesn't read that way like you just first pick this and you know you can pick up some way to splash white for it even if you don't end up in green white so where i'm at right now with pride sovereign and i imagine where i will be at for the rest of the format is that it is a bomb it is better than any uncommon or common in the set and it's a slam first pick for me that's also how i feel because of the point that you brought up that fixing so abundant that it's not an issue it doesn't pigeonhole you into drafting green white if you want to play it you can just draft a base green deck and splash white and it's going to be excellent every single time you cast it yeah so but what what, what mistake did you make here you took like consign or something uh absolutely not i took <laughs> i took pride sovereign uh, yeah. because i feel similar to you i think that's yeah, the pick excellent. and I, I took pride sovereign so we've got that in our pile as our first pick here and we're on to our second pick cards in consideration include open fire still the best red common for you oh yeah for sure and i i i'm still not on the uh i'm not on the ambuscade train yet Uh, i'd still take open fire over ambuscade i think uh that's close for me and i think i'm on ambuscade because i think i like green better than red that makes sense yeah open fire two and a red instant deal three damage target creature player oasis ritualist three and a green for a two four tap to add a color of a mana of any color to your mana pool and tap and exert to add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Ambuscade, two and a green, speak of the devil. An instant mm-hmm. target creature you control gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. It deals damage equal to its power to target creature and opponent controls. Obelisk Spider, one black green for a one four reach. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a creature, put a minus one minus one counter on that creature. And whenever you put one or more minus one minus one counters on a creature, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. And then I suppose some people seem pretty high on deserts to me. There's also a desert of the Indomitable in this pack, but there's no way you're ever ever taking desert of the Indomitable over a card like Ambuscade. No, no way. Yeah, I think this is a, a pretty interesting second pick. You've got two powerful green cards in Ambuscade and Oasis Ritualist, and you've got a premium removal spell in Open Fire. I think here is where when you have two cards in very close power level like ambuscade and open fire that your first pick does come into consideration here and the fact that pride sovereign is green makes me lean towards ambuscade more here i agree and that's also the card i took so now we've got a pride sovereign and an ambuscade in our pile uh, and we're moving on to pick three cards that you could consider here include 
Uh, lethal Sting, two and a black for a sorcery as an additional cost to cast it. Put a minus one, minus one counter on target creature you control and then destroy target creature. Very easy to misclick this one on Magic Online. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but I've been very close several times. Yeah, very, very close. Feral Prowler matches up with our first two picks. One in a green for a 1-3. Whenever Feral Prowler dies, draw a card. Supreme Will, two and a blue for an instant. Choose one. It's got two modes. Uh, Mana Leak, counter target spell, unless this controller pays three. Or look at the top four cards of your library, put one of them into your hand, and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And then also Wretched Camel, one in a black for a 2-1. Whenever Wretched Camel dies, if you control a desert uh, or there's a desert card in your graveyard, target player discards a card. So Lethal Sting, Feral Prowler, Supreme Will, or Wretched Camel. So here's, I think, a point where some people might go the Feral Prowler route because they have two green cards and, like, you want to cut green or you want to stay in green. or I'm not really sure what the, the argument here is, but it doesn't really work for me because I think you still, you're only in pick three. What if green dries up, etc.? What if black happens to be open? Lethal Sting is the best card in this pack by, I think, a significant margin. It's still, I think people may be generally down on black these days. I'm not sure. I don't think you and I are quite in that camp yet. No, but I think I think a lot of the pros are... It was really interesting, right? Uh, I think you and I both watched the Team Draft Super League this past week. Mm-hmm. Justin Cohen and... Uh, Sam Black. Sam Black were doing commentary, and they were both like pretty down on Black, and were talking about actively avoiding it. And they, mm-hmm. were, bo- and they were both pretty high on Feral Prowlers. So I think, I think a lot of people have a tendency to listen to what the pros say and kind of take it as gospel a little bit. Yeah. And then I think that's certainly, if you're not good at drafting, taking advice from people that are better than you is certainly a good thing to do. But I think you and I have drafted enough that we're, and we've done enough drafts specifically of this format, like we've both done over 60 drafts, that we're willing to take what the pros say with a grain of salt. And I think Torment of Venom and Lethal Sting are both still very playable. For sure. And, and good good cards that actively pull you into black. And maybe black isn't deep enough to be a main color in the format, but I think black plays a support color very, very well in the format because of how good its removal is. And Lethal Sting is an all-star all star support card in being single black and being cheap. Yep, very good. Uh, so Lethal Sting is the pick there for us. So now we've got a Pride Sovereign, an Ambuscade, and a Lethal Sting in our pile. So we've got a green-white-ish card in Pride Sovereign, an Ambuscade, which is green, and Lethal Sting, which is black. And we are on pick four now in the draft. Uh, cards in contention here are... Wretched Camel, again, one in a black for the 2-1, that when it dies, uh, if you've got a desert somewhere, your opponent discards a card. Survivor's Encampment, which keeps going up and up and up for me. That's the desert where you tap to add a colorless mana to your mana pool and tap it or tap an untapped, tap it and an untapped creature you control to add one <laughs> mana of any color to your mana pool. Sorry, I can't talk. It's all good. Desert of the Indomitable, tap to add a green to your mana pool, and it's got cycling, one in a green, discard this card, draw a card, uh, and Act of Heroism. Uh, one on a white for an instant untapped target creature. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn and can block an additional creature. And Resolute Survivors, I suppose, would be in contention also. One red and a white for a 3-3, three, three, and you can exert it as it attacks. Whenever you exert a creature, Resolute Survivor deals one damage to target opponent, and you gain one life. Resolute Survivors seems to be going later and later these days, I think because people are sort of off of the red-white exert deck and moving more into these kind of multicolor dirtily more powerful decks and i i'm doing that also but i do still think like a good red white exert deck just puts these decks to shame sometimes if they stumble at all oh absolutely so i think resolute survivors is i think probably the most raw power level card in this pack if it was pack one pick one i would take it out of what you the cards you named but i think based on what you already have it would be a bit of a i don't know train wreck isn't quite the right word but that's a huge u-turn to grab the resolute survivors here don't you think that's what I thought too. Yeah, I did not pick it. And I want to take a word on the desert because I think Desert of the Indomitable is what you ended up taking here, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's what I would end up taking here uh, for two reasons. One, it keeps you in green. Cycling on color deserts are good. But also, I think people have caught on. We're now into, what, week three of the format? Week four of the format? I think people know that you should be taking deserts highly. They're not wheeling anymore, really. You've got to take them early if you want to get them. And I think they're now being ranked sort of uh, in the upper middle section of commons in their color. So I think you need to be taking them appropriately and not hoping you can grab them 7th, 8th, ninth pick. Yeah, and I've actually found myself ending up with less deserts because I'm almost... like I feel like people have swung the other way now and are maybe taking deserts even a little too highly. Agreed. 
and and I found myself having like zero deserts to two deserts in most of the drafts I've done recently, because I think for the episode that we outlined the desert payoffs in, I think the desert payoffs are great for like cards like Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs and things like that. And for that card to be great, you want like four to five deserts. But it's it's really hard to get four to five deserts these days without investing like some early picks in deserts. And then if you have to pivot at all, like sometimes it, it's it's close to making playables for me. Yeah. Or I'm like playing a two color deck or a two color deck with a splash and I'm running two stone colorless deserts. I'm running a sun scorched desert and like whatever the... Uh, I forget the name of the, like, the Manland Desert that exiles a land, or the one that exiles all cards from graveyards. Like, I'm playing these, like, terrible colorless lands to be able to turn on my four or five Deserts Matters cards. Yeah, I've, I've also been there as well. So Desert of the Indomitable is what we took there over Survivor's Encampment, Wretched Camel, Resolute Survivor's Act of Heroism. And it was close for me between Desert of the Indomitable and Survivor's Encampment, but this this early in the draft, if I'm if I'm green and I have a chance to pick up an on-color Desert, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm green at this point because Pride Sovereign's that good and Ambuscade's that good, that it would take a lot for me to pivot off green at this point. Yeah. And then moving on to pick five. So quick recap, we've got uh, Pride Sovereign, Ambuscade, lethal sting and a green desert so two green cards a black card and a green desert we're on pick five now cards in contention there's another wretched camel uh, the two one that makes somebody discard there's a survivor's encampment that's the land where you can tap a creature and add one man of any color to your mana pool a oasis ritualist which we talked about earlier that's three and a green for the two four that taps to add a man of any color to your mana pool and can exert for two mana there's a green desert there's a white desert uh, a hope tender and an aven of enduring hope so hope tender is the one and a green for a two two uh, that can exert to untap two lands and ramp you a little bit. Otherwise, it just filters. And even of Enduring Hopes, the 3-3 flyer, that when it enters the battlefield, you gain three life for four and a white. Yeah, so in the blockbuster summer feature that is five-color good stuff in our Devastation Draft, Oasis Ritualist is the lead, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. So I see this pick five, and I've got a few green cards, and this is the card that makes me go, oh, Maybe this deck is open. Maybe I can move in on a multicolored good stuff deck. Now, even if you don't end up there, Oasis Ritualist is still not an embarrassing card in your deck by any stretch of the imagination. Like, a 4-mana 2-4, yeah, that's sort of like below stats or whatever, but you'll put it in your deck. And it can ramp you for 1, or exert ramp you for 2. Two very very powerful effects, and even if you're not uh, in many colors and you don't need that fixing, you... We're probably going to need the ramp for your six mana hippo or your seven mana greater sandworm, you know? So I think here, over the Hope Tender and the Green Desert, Oasis Ritualist not only slots in great with the picks you already have, but opens up a whole new world of possibilities for the next two packs for you. Right. That That's also what I took. And and I think what, what the point about you made is very true, too. Like, if you get to four mana, you cast this card, and you miss your next land drop, you can still exert it to play your Rampaging Hippo. Mm-hmm. And and green decks in the format are going to want to play Rampaging Hippos. They're going to want to play Ra- Greater Sandworms. They're going to want to play Sifter Worms. And Oasis Ritualist, even if it's not fixing you in a multicolored deck, is still very good in a base green deck. But the upside of picking it this early is that you know you have the world of five color open to you if you know how to draft that deck, which we're going to teach you here in just a second. So that was the first five picks, and shortly after that, I got to pick six, pick seven, I took two Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. Pick eight, I took a Black Desert. Pick nine, I took Consigned Oblivion, which we can do now because we've got Oasis Ritualist. And Hmm. pick ten, I took an Obelisk Spider, which we can also do now because we've got Oasis Ritualist. And then from there on out, I just prioritized taking the best cards and fixing and some card draw and ended up in a Multicolored Good Stuff deck. Nice. All right, so let's talk about base level how do you get into this kind of deck? We just sort of gave a rundown of like a few picks of, okay, so you're going down a sort of traditional path, taking the best cards out of each pack, um, staying maybe on one color, seeing a ritualist late, feeling like that's a signal into this deck moving in. Are there other ways? Yeah, I think I think another way is if you open a multicolored or an expensive bomb card and then actively look to prioritize Oasis Ritualist. So say you open... I don't know, like a Scarab God, and pick two, you take Ambuscade, and then pick three, there's an Oasis Ritualist in the pack, and you want to take Oasis Ritualist so that you can play green, like a base green deck, and you're just already planning early on in the draft to move into this five-color control deck. 
I think that's another viable way to get into the deck. And then the, the other option, which I think is like sort of semi-viable, normally we wouldn't advocate this kind of thing, but I think it's semi-viable to force this deck. I think the deck's very good, and I think there's enough of all the different types of cards that go in the deck, like card draw, fixing, bombs, early defense cards, that if you're just planning on the outset from drafting this deck, I think you'll probably get there most of the time. Now, maybe it won't be an optimal version of the deck, and it might not be correct for your seat to do, but if it's the kind of thing that you like to draft, I certainly think you can do that in this format. So what kinds of cards might you see that make you sort of force this deck or think about leaning towards this deck if you open them pack one, pick one? Cards that make me want to draft this deck, Oasis Ritualist, like seeing an early Oasis Ritualist in a weak pack uh, makes me want to draft this deck because I think Oasis Ritualist is very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Sifter Worms, five green green for the seven seven that gains you some life, lets you scry. Um, and actually, really quick, I want to bounce a, a pick off of you because this pick keeps coming up for me. I think just because the packs keep getting collated the same way. Mm-hmm. Multiple times I've had uh, Sifter Worm versus Ambuscade. And I think mm-hmm. I'm on Ambuscade, but it's so close for me. And the other night, I actually like I kept losing when I, <laughs> when I was picking Ambuscade. So I finally just took Sifter Worm over Ambuscade. But I think Ambuscade's the right pick. Are you saying pack one, pick one? Pack one, pick one, yeah. Sifter Worm versus Ambuscade. I, I'm on Sifter Worm. Are you really? But this is this is my whole this is my whole theme, and I don't know what is right, but that removal is very abundant in this format, and like powerful threats are less so. Sifterworm does everything you want at the top end of these kinds of decks. It's a fatty, it can't be chump blocked, and it gains you life, so it like offsets the dirtling you were doing before. Like, yeah, Ambuscan is a cheaper, it's more efficient removal spell, but Sifterworm I think is close to, if not a bomb. That's fi- that's finally where I ended up, like, the last time I took Sifterworm over Ambuscade. Prior to that, I'd been taking Ambuscade over Sifterworm with the following reasoning. That that Ambuscade is good in either an aggressive deck or a controlling deck, and Sifterworm's only good in a controlling deck. But recently, yes. I've kind of decided that the controlling decks are some of the better decks in the format, so maybe I just want to be taking Sifterworm over Ambuscade and trying to end up in a controlling deck. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wonder what sort of the... If you play out a million versions of pack one, pick one in each of those, what do you end up with a winning deck more often with? Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. So you're on Sifter Worm over Ambuscade pack one, pick one? I am, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so some other cards that, that make me want to draft the deck. Uh, God Pharaoh's Gift, the seven mana artifact that's totally busted and wins you the game when it comes down. Mm-hmm. Champion of Wits, the two and a blue for a two one, the rare blue eternalizer that lets you uh, draw two, discard two when it comes into play. And then when you eternalize it, you draw four, discard two. A huge source of card advantage, which is really important for uh, the multicolor late game deck. Vizier of the Anointed, the three and a blue two four, uh, the Eternalized Lord uh, lets you search up an Eternalizer, and then whenever you embalm or Eternalize something, it's a poster child for Lords of Limited. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, You get a draw card. We both love that card, and I think we both love that card because it slots so well in this deck, and we both enjoy drafting this deck a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Wraths make me want to draft this deck because they're very powerful cards. So essentially, like some of the highest power level cards in the format make me want to draft this deck because it lets you, it guarantees that you're going to be able to put the highest level, highest power level cards in your deck because if you take the fixing early enough, you can jam them all in your deck and then ostensibly you have a very, your, your deck should be more powerful than your opponent's. So if you can get it to be consistent, then you should be winning more games than your opponent. Yeah. So we've got, like, there are a lot of moving pieces. You, you sort of rattled them off of like, Fixing, bombs, card draw, and uh, a phrase, defensive speed, I think, uh, attributed to two limited resources, or at least that's where I heard it from. Yeah, that's where I heard it also. And I think I think they've talked about defensive speed enough that it's just generally a, like a kind of a, they've made it like a general magic concept in limited, I think. I, I would agree. But just sort of meaning like if you're, you can't just be doing nothing on the first few turns if you're a mid-range or control deck. You've got to be able to keep up with the aggro decks in some way. So things that allow you to get to your late game, whatever those may be. But those are four important pieces of the deck that you have to sort of uh, have adequate cards for all four of them. But I think the fixing and the ramp is the most important because it's uh, the thing that makes Hour of Devastation a set where this deck is viable. So we've discussed Oasis Ritualist as sort of like the hallmark for this card because it's in uh, two of the three packs. But Oasis Ritualist has a like cousin of Gift of Paradise in 
Amonkhet. Now, you and I were big on Gift of Paradise decks in triple Amonkhet drafts, right? We were, yeah, and maybe that that wasn't the most popular thing to do in that <laughs> format. I think I think you and I were maybe some of the only two people on the planet that were still drafting yeah. Gift of Paradise decks at the end of the format. But I think it was possible uh, to draft that deck and have it be good. Uh, yeah. And I think that card and that deck has just gotten better with the addition of our of Devastation. And I think the thing that makes Oasis Ritualist and Gift of Paradise so powerful is that they can tap for two colors of mana. So you can have two Ritualists and one Gift of Paradise in your deck, and you can play Chaos Maw as your only red card. You can play Lay Claim as your only blue card. And you don't need to worry about it because you have essentially three... Like if you were splashing a normal, uh, just single black card, let's say you were splashing Final Reward in a deck. If you wanted to play that, I'd say if you had three black sources for that card, you've got enough, right? You've got an Evolving Wilds, a Traveler's Amulet, and a Swamp. You're probably set to be able to cast that card consistently. Yeah, that's kind of the general rule of thumb. It's three, three, three sources for a single-colored card that you want to splash. Well, two Ritualists and two Gift of Paradise that, or two Ritualists and one Gift of Paradise that each tap for double colors of mana allow you to play those double-colored cards. So you now are able to splash double-colored bombs, which is a huge push for this kind of deck. So I say those are the top tier ramp and fixing, right? They do both. They fix your colors amazingly, and they're accelerating you as well. Just a notch below that, I think, is Naga Vitalist, which unfortunately you only have out of the last pack, so it's sort of a bonus once you're already in this deck, because probably by the time you get to pack three, you you know what direction you're going in. Basically, if you're in this deck, by the time you get to pack three, you know that you want as many Vitalists and Gift of Paradise as you can get your hands on. Right, and, and just a, a side note with Naga Vitalist, it works very well with Survivor's Encampment and Painted Bluffs, right? Because then it, it can tap for any color of mana. Exactly, yes, yeah, that is a huge uh, point to make about this card. Or, or Gift of Paradise, right? Gift of Paradise turns it on also, if you've got, right. but if you've got Gift of Paradise on your land, you're probably already set. You're probably already doing it, yeah. Um, and Hope Tender, which is a pretty innocuous little two mana two two, but I see why it's kind of uncommon. They didn't really, I guess they got Ritualist at common as the ramp fixer, so they didn't need them both there. But Hope Tender's great because it can give you double colors if you've already got one of them, but also can help mess some things around if you've got an encampment or a painted bluffs in play. But it being cheap and able to ramp you and potentially fix your colors is pretty relevant in this deck. Yep, I would agree. And then kind of kind of in the third tier, we've got uh, Traveler's Amulet, which is the artifact that costs a single colored mana, and you can pay one mana and tap and sacrifice it to go search up any land in your deck, any basic land in your deck, that is. Uh, Evolving Wilds, which is a land that lets you sacrifice it and search for any land in your deck. Survivor's Encampment, that's the uh, colorless desert where you can tap it and a creature to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And Painted Bluffs, sort of the filter land where you can pay one and tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So all four of these are colorless uh, mana fixers, not rampers, right? Um, but they do allow you to splash around, right? An amulet and a wilds plus one island, you're kind of doing it. You can play whatever single blue card. You can splash the Scarab God or the Locust God. Um, you and I keep talking about Survivor's Encampment going up and up and up because, one, it's a desert, but two, it, it also really allows you to turn on a lot of splashes pretty easily. Right. Of, of those four cards, Survivor's Encampment is pretty clearly head and shoulders above the other three, in my opinion, in, in this five-color deck. Yeah. And then moving on, I think a tier below that, but still pretty playable, are the three-mana Rampant Growths, Beneath the Sands, and Spring to Mind. So Beneath the Sands is the two in a green that finds a basic land and also has cycling for two colorless. And Spring to Mind is the Aftermath card from Amonkhet that is two in a green to find a basic land put into play tapped. And then Mind is four and... And double blue, instant speed, draw two cards, um, which slots in pretty nicely as some card draw tacked on to your ramp slash fixing card. Right, but I think these are a tier worse than the, or, or worse than all the other cards we've named already. One, I mean, you might say these cards are similar to Gift of Paradise, but they don't fix double colored and they don't gain you life. Yeah, that is true. We didn't talk about that. Gift, Gift of Paradise kind of taking a turn off on turn three to ramp is pretty punishing against some of the the aggressive decks in the format and the, the three life really helps you get that turn back that you took off to ramp so but these two do do other things for you beneath the sands has cycling so if you draw it late game you can cycle it away and get a different card and spring to mind sort of gives you a uh, card draw built in with the mind half of the card yeah and as we'll talk about later well one mind is easily splashable again off of oasis ritualist or gift of paradise but this deck is often base blue green um, so Mind is often uh, pretty castable in this deck. 
Yeah, and then another tier. Uh, these are cards that you're you're pretty like unhappy. I think if you're having to run in the deck, Manalith and Washra Cultivator. A Manalith being the three mana artifact that taps add a mana of any color to your mana pool, and Washra Cultivator is the single green O3 that taps for two and a green to let you search up a basic land. Both of those, I think, I would try not to run Manalith or. So, and I've run Manalith. I would be happier running Manalith than I would a Washer Cultivator. And yeah. I think other people are a little higher on Manalith than you and I are. And I, I'm not sure why that is. I think there is a world where you are doing this multicolor good stuff deck and you're not green. Or green isn't your main color. Like somehow you ended up like black, red. Yeah, maybe maybe like with a Nicol Bolas, the gods yeah. might cause that to happen. Yeah. Then I think you are in a world where you do need Manaliths And... That seems fine to me. That's why it's sort of low on this ranking list for us. Is I think you and I both think of this as a base green deck. But if for some reason you're not there, but you've got the other pieces, you've got the bombs, you've got the removal, the card draw, the defensive speed, what you need is the ramp and the fixing, and Manalith provides that. Absolutely. I, I wanted to touch on Weaver of Currents just slightly because I think... Well, I think this is a good card in green-blue decks. If you're doing this sort of multicolor deck i think weaver of current surprisingly does not slot in great here because a lot of your ramp slash fixing is three a three drop already and this doesn't provide you with colored fixing right it's tapping for two colorless and it just i think often i'm like excited to see it because i know it's a powerful card but then when i really crunch the numbers of what i'm hoping to do with my deck it doesn't seem like it's the best turn three play for me yep i would agree and just another note, uh, if you're lucky enough to get an Hour of Promise, which is the four and a green, lets you search up two land cards so we can go get deserts also. And if you already control a desert and you get three deserts in play, you're going to make two black, two two zombies. Uh, that card's insanely good in a desert-based version of this deck. Yeah, for sure. So the deck, I think, for you and I, is often base green. And I think that lends itself to be either blue-green or green-black. Basically because the two other pieces we talked about of card draw and removal, that blue can provide a good amount of card draw or card advantage, and black can provide a good amount of removal for your deck, that that's generally where these decks end up, at least for me. I don't know where, where it's at for you. Yeah, I would agree. And I think you can also end up red too, but the thing that black provides over red is unconditional removal. Like red, yeah. right? You've got open fire and what's the deal five exiles that puncturing blow puncturing blow i was gonna call it punishing fire <laughs> <laughs> that's a different card yeah at least i had the name of a magic card in my head <laughs> at least at least so black like black provides things like lethal sting final reward that just like get anything dead which is pretty important when you're playing for the late game mm -hmm. which this deck is because your opponent might have a similar style deck and have bombs that you need to be able to deal with and answer and red's a little less good at that than black yeah so yeah, we've, we've talked about the four pieces, bombs, fixing, removal, and card draw, as well as defensive speed. We, d we just went through ranking all of the fixing. Uh, you want to give us some examples of card draw? Yeah, so card draw, I think, can mean one of two things. It can mean just sort of literal card draw, like hieroglyphic illumination, trial of knowledge, like sunset pyramid, cards that are actually saying draw a card on them, yeah? We all know how to sort of, that that's what that means. But it can come in other forms too. I mean, uh, and we'll also talk about River Hoopoo. I think that's sort of the all-star uh, of, of blue-green deck. I mean, it does it all. It's gaining you life. It's drawing you cards. It's a mana sink for you. But there are other examples of card draw or card advantage. It's like a card that we talked about earlier, Vizier of the Anointed. If you have a couple of Eternalizers or Embalmers in your deck, this is providing you with card draw, right? It's coming into play as a 2-4. It's finding a creature, putting it in your yard. You embalm it, internalize it. You draw a card. You get that creature into play. You've generated now three cards worth of value off of your one card. So you haven't actually played a card that says, like, draw two, draw three cards on it. But you have netted multiple cards worth of value off of one card. So that's another kind of thing you're trying to look at. Wander and Death, a card that we talk about a lot on this podcast. It's a big mover from us, from Triple Amonkhet, right? We are valuing this very, very highly. This slots into this deck so many ways because it only costs a single black. If you can't cast it, you cycle it for two. And it provides you with such an incredible amount of card advantage because it's like a divination, except what you're drawing is the two best creatures from your graveyard. Yeah, there's there's so many decks that just cannot handle. Like, I find myself, I think I love this card so much because I get in game states where even if I don't have this card in my deck, like if I'm playing a, a deck that's like, you know, trying to beat a deck that might have Wander and Death in it, 
I find mm-hmm. myself thinking very often in the format, I can't beat Wandering Death here. Please don't yep. play Wandering Death. I can't beat a Wandering Death. <laughs> like, because yeah. I've just spent two removal spells killing their two best creatures. And if they cast Wandering Death and get them back, like, I'm up a creek without a paddle. Yeah. So we've got that card draw from Our Devastation. If you're so lucky enough to open an Oracle's Vault or a Bounty of the Luxa, this slots in quite nicely there. A Champion of Wits, as we talked about earlier, is good card filtering, card draw for your deck. Tragic lesson, if you're stuck and you're in green-black, I would not be ashamed to see this in my 23-22 card deck because you just need it. You need ways to get ahead after you've stabilized. Well, and one of, one of the things that this provides that I've found, I actually sort of don't mind having one tragic lesson in the deck. I'm certainly not embarrassed about it, and sometimes I think it's actively good if you have like three cycling deserts because sometimes you're forced to play out those cycling deserts early in the game, and then you cast this... And to mitigate the drawback, so Tragic Lesson unless you draw two cards, unless you discard a land card, or discard mm-hmm. a card. No, discard a card. Unless you return a land you control to your hand, and then you just draw two cards. Okay. So you can you can cast this, draw two cards, return one of your cycling deserts, and cycle it away, and then you're essentially drawing three cards, so you kind of turn this into compulsive research late in the game. Exactly. Another way that you can get card advantage off of your opponent is if you have mana sinks or cards that scale with the game. So I think Eternalizers and Embalmers are good examples of those that like are sort of at face value two-for-ones if you can uh, make them work out that way. But so you're investing really in just a single actual card, a Magic the Gathering card, but it is providing you with two cards of value versus your opponent's deck. If you have an Aftermath card with two relevant halves, like we talked about Consigned to Oblivion, what are a farm to market? If you can cast market later in the game, that's providing you, it's not actual card advantage, but you're filtering through two cards in your deck. That's providing you with some sort of card selection. That's valuable. What, what else can you hope for? Struggle to survive. I think, I think survive is great. Early on in the format, I had survive categorized as like a card that didn't really do anything in my head. And I think if you can cast both halves of the card, survive is actually good in the format. There's a lot of eternalizers running around. There's cards that care about having deserts in the graveyard. So just just a note for everybody out there. I dismissed this card, and I, I misplayed a little bit because of it until my Twitch chat pointed out that I could have cast Survive at one point to like remove three Eternalizers from my opponent's graveyard, and I missed it that turn. And so instead, I only got two of them, but that's certainly a very real gold card. Can I, uh, can I tell a fun Survive story? You can. I played against someone who had two Apocalypse Demons. <laughs> fun fact... When you cast Survive and your opponent has Apocalypse Demon in play, it dies. Pretty decent. Uh, Pretty grind, decent. Grind of Dust would also be another insane one if you're looking oh to God, get that card. Yeah. And that card's another card that makes me want to play this deck. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if Black-White's not open, you still want to be able to cast Grind of Dust. And this yeah. deck's one of the best ways to do it. Absolutely. I think some, like, less optimal ones are Riddle Form. Like, probably doesn't slot into this deck very often. But if you need, if you don't, if you come up short on Mana Sinks or Card Draw, I think the Scry 1 on this can really come into play. Right, it's kind of like a worst version of uh, Sunset Pyramid, right? Sunset Pyramid is insane because it has Draw a Card and it has Scry on it. Yeah. Another one would be Razakus, right? That's our boy. Oh, yeah. I love Razakus, right? And I think you're coming around on it. Ever since you brought it up, I think it was like three episodes ago, two episodes ago, I just, I keep taking it higher and higher. Because there's times where I'm like, this probably could wheel, but I'll be so miserable if it doesn't that I just really need it. Like, there's enough bombs in this format that taking a turn off to cast it to find that bomb is mitigated by the card that you're going to play the next turn. And its cycling cost at just being a single black makes it almost like incons or uh, uh, like what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? A free it's roll. Like, it's basically a free roll. Yeah, free <laughs> that's roll. the word you're looking for. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. It's a free roll. Um, yeah, Mirage Mirage Mirror is another one uh, that gives you a mana sink in the late game. Uh, it's always a copy of the best card on the battlefield if you've got two mana available, which this deck frequently does. Yeah, and this is a card like. Hoopoo in a sense that like Sunset Pyramid that scales as the game goes on. Like Mirage Mirror early isn't great, but it still is probably going to be fine and provide you with a card's worth of value. But as the game goes on, if you're able to like craft a board state around it or always be able to turn it into a copy of the best card on the battlefield, like it it does a lot of work, especially in green based decks. I've found. Yep, for sure. Trial and cartouche synergies, like being able to buy those back, is also another form of. Uh ways to win the late game yeah this is much less likely in with only one pack of Amonkhet, but it does come up and when it does it is a real uh source of card advantage for you 
Right, and I've also really liked Hour of Eternity in these style decks, the triple blue uh, XX spell that lets you eternalize uh, X number of cards from your graveyard. Mm -hmm. The triple blue gets mitigated a lot by cards like Gift of Paradise and Oasis Ritualist, and a lot of times those cards ramp you also, so it's pretty easy to get to seven, and I've even done this for nine mana before in these these style decks, which is pretty backbreaking. Yeah, for sure. Another area that we talked about uh, that's really important for the deck is defensive speed, which is so... You know, you're, you're running all these multicolored cards. You've got all this fixing. While you're doing this, you need to make sure that you don't die. So I've kind of got some cards ranked here uh, in order of preference for where they're best for defensive speed. I think the best card to keep you alive is Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs because yeah. it's colorless. So if you're struggling, like, you know, these opening hands sometimes have, like, your base green. Sometimes I have Island Swamp and some green cards and a Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs. And I think that hand's keepable because you can cast Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs on turn two. Or maybe you've got like Island Survivor's Encampment and then you can cast your Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs on turn two. And then the Survivor's Encampment then can get you green because you've got a creature in play. Um, so I think that especially the interaction with Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs and Survivor's Encampment puts it over the top of these other cards. And I've, mm -hmm. even, I've even been happy running Wall of Forgotten Pharaohs with only one to two deserts. And it's just gravy if you've got more deserts. Yeah. Tier 2, I think, is Feral Prowler, uh, one in a green for the 1-3 that when it dies, draws you a card. Uh, this card, I've not played with it much until recently. Uh, actually, hearing how high Sam Black uh, and Justin Cohen were on it during the Team Draft Super League, and I gave it a try, and I just started noticing people were playing it more. And on the other side of the battlefield, if you're playing an aggressive deck, it's pretty annoying. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times you have to spend a card or a turn somehow fighting through it, and then it just replaces itself. So it's a very good speed bump against the aggressive decks, and you don't feel bad about chump blocking with it at all because you get your card back. Right. And then kind of in a third tier, Proven Combatant, and it's also green, and the deck's frequently base green. That's another another vote in its favor. Mm -hmm. Kind of kind of tier three, Proven Combatant, Ruin Rat, and Wretched Camel. Proven Combatant's the uh, Eternalizer for four blue-blue. Uh, it's just a single blue for a 1-1, one, one, and then can come back as a 4-4. Four, four. And then Ruin Rat's the 1-1 one, one Death Touch for one and a black, and Wretched Campbell's the 2-1 that can make your opponent discard a card for one and a black. And Wretched Campbell's actually my favorite out of these, if you get the Deserts. If you don't have the Deserts, I think Ruin Rat's probably better than the Wretched Camel. Yeah, I agree with both of those sentiments. Yeah, and then kind of uh, from the Amonkhet pack, if you've not been able to pick up defensive speed in the Hour of Devastation packs, I think Dune Beetle does a fine job, and even even sometimes Ancient Crab in a pinch. Uh, I've run in this, this these style of decks. Yeah, with the uh, less prevalence of uh hooded brawler and emberhorn minotaur dune beetle and ancient crab don't look as embarrassing as they used to right i agree and i think you're hoping if you're drafting this deck i think you're hoping to spend picks one through eight on cards like fixing and bombs and then maybe and maybe like some card draw there like towards the end picks six seven and eight and then in general you're trying to wheel your card draw and your defensive speed type cards yeah. So you've theoretically set up your deck for this, or you set up the draft for this kind of deck. You've got the ramp, the fixing, you've got some bombs, you've got the de defensive speed, you've got maybe even some removal. What are the kinds of like, maybe picks five through eight cards that you're like, oh, I could grab that. Like that doesn't look like a card that I can maybe slot into this deck on face value, but because of how great my mana is... What are the cards that you're looking at, like, just putting in that aren't insane bombs to splash for, but are they just, like, solid cards? Right. So some cards that I frequently find myself playing in the deck, cards that gain you life. I think Incidental Life Gain is very good in this deck, because a lot of times mm. you start off behind a little bit, and it helps bring you back to parity and lets you stabilize and then win the late game. Yeah. Uh, so I frequently find myself splashing Aven of Enduring Hope, which is the four and a white for the three, three flyer that gains you three. Sunscourge Champion, the two and a white for a two, three. Eternalizer that gains you life equal to its power when it enters the battlefield. This deck also really enables you, and this is a good good chance to talk about this, to play the the three defeats that are really good, the white, the red, and the black defeats. Yeah. So we should just pause for a second here. I, I think these cards are still continuing to go criminally late in draft. What do you what do you think about that? I totally agree. At least in our experience in the intermediate draft leagues on Magic Online. Like I see Gideon's defeat like I saw it, I think second to last or last pick today. And that is bad. Like these cards if you're bringing this out of the sideboard, it's going to be one of, if not the best card in your deck against your opponent, right? It's going to just be a single mana removal spell for any creature they have, or any white, red, or black creature they have, depending on what you're bringing in. And that's going to be better than almost all, like, replaceable level uncommons, or, or commons in your deck, right? Like, 
you know, Marauding Bone Slasher. Like, never take Marauding Bone Slasher over the Liliana's defeat. Never take Solitary Camel over Gideon's defeat. You need to be taking these cards highly because they're going to be such insane all-stars out of your sideboard. Yep, I agree completely. Another another kind of similar cards here that I found myself putting in the deck are Angel of uh, Angel of the God Pharaoh and Oketra's Attendant because they're mm-hmm. both double white cards, but they have cycling. So if you don't hit your Gift of Paradise or your Oasis Ritualist, you can still cycle them away and get a card back. But if you do hit your double white off your fixing, then they're very powerful cards that you're happy to cast. Single colored removal, I think, is great. Cards like Open Fire, Lethal Sting anything that's only a single colored mana because you can cast those cards off of survivor's encampment or your oasis ritualist without exerting it or your land that you go get with the traveler's amulet uh single colored cards are are pretty darn easy to cast in this deck i think yeah i think i think just single colored splashes are just pretty darn easy in general in this format it's like very rare i feel like that i am not just splashing for one card of a third color even in my like regular two color decks just because of the existence of survivors encampment evolving wild travelers amulet etc all the cards we talked about earlier so yeah those single colored splashes are very very viable torment of scarabs card i like in the deck three and a black for the uh <laughs> i mean i like the card in general you're but so I, sick i think it's good in the deck how did you're you playing... sneak this card onto this list <laughs> you're playing for the late game and it's got an board stall uh maybe that's a little ambitious for the deck i think it's a little uh, ambitious it might <laughs> It might be a little ambitious, but I do like playing that card in this deck. Maybe that's not good. Maybe we shouldn't be giving that advice to the listeners. <laughs> um, Fervent Paincaster, the pinger for two and a red, uh, can exert to ping creatures. Sand Strangler is a really good one. It oh, yeah. s- sort of goes along with single-colored removal. Uh, and then a lot of the gold cards, like a lot of the gold uncommon cards, go very well in the deck. Consigned Oblivion, Farm to Market, Struggle to Survive, Bloodwater Entity, uh, Decimator Beetle. Lots of the gold uncommon cards that are like... Very good, but maybe, you know, hard to cast if you haven't prioritized fixing. You get them picks five through eight, and then they become, like, very good in your deck because you can cast them easily. Bloodwater Entity is an interesting inclusion of... I I agree with every other one except for this one just because it's not a great defensive card on turn three. So I guess are you playing it in the deck thinking that you're casting it later on in the game? Yeah, that's what I think. Like, so I'm, I'm putting you know, my open fires or my lethal stings in the deck, and maybe I'm having to fire those off, <clears throat> excuse me, early to keep myself alive. Mm-hmm. And then turn eight, I play my Budwater Entity, and I know I'm drawing a removal spell the next turn. Yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. There's also cards that, like, provide sort of incidental value or tricksiness, like Vizier of Deferment, that's the two and a white flash card that um, exiles an attacker or blocker until end of turn. God, that card keeps crushing my soul. I mean, it's just still good against tokens, it's still good against buffs, it's still good against combat tricks, like, it's very, very good, and, you know, it's not a bomb, but it's better than a combat trick, it's basically close to a a removal spell, it's not hard to craft a way to get a 2-for-1 out of this card, Um, similarly, Gravedigger, that's certainly not hard to craft a way to get a 2-for-1 out of it, but goes along with the Wander and Death thought process of getting back a best creature from your graveyard. These are also the Wander and Death Gravedigger thing. The reason I'm so high on these cards in this deck is because if your, let's say, Pride Sovereign happens to be your best card in your green five color, four color deck, if that dies, you're probably in a lot of trouble. So having a way to get that back at some point is so valuable. Right. So raised dead effects go up in value with the card quality in your deck, and this deck's got really high card quality because ostensibly you're picking, you're picking the best cards regardless of color, assuming you get the fixing. Yeah, and I think being aggressively geared towards taking sideboard cards like the defeats, like Blazing Volley to blow out a number of X1s, a bunch of Oketra's Avengers on the other side of the board, taking a Manglehorn or a Dissenter's Deliverance to blow up walls or Edifice of Authorities on opposing sides of the board. Like, I think taking those cards that are going to be all-stars out of your sideboard over uh, replacement-level commons or uncommons is really important in this kind of deck. I agree. And then just some good common filler cards in the deck that don't really fall into any of the categories we talked about. I, I frequently find myself playing Bitterbow Sharpshooters and Rampaging Hippo in the deck and being happy about it. They're just rock-solid cards that go along with the overall game plan of the deck, I think. So I, w- I want to take a pause here and talk about green in a general sense. Mm-hmm. We're probably both certainly on Ambuscade as the best common in green, right? I would agree. What do you think the second best common in green is? For now, for me, it's it's Oasis Ritualist. And what do you think the third best common in green is? 
uh, probably bitter bow sharpshooters. Isn't that crazy that Ronus' stalwart is now out of the top three for both of us? I didn't know if it was for you or not. It yeah. is for me. Yeah, you. The, I, I'm, I'm on the same order that you are right now. I'm pretty over Ronus's stalwart. Yeah, I mean, I'll play it. Like, if I if my seat clearly wants to be green white exert, I mean, I'll play it. But I think that's about the only deck. Maybe green red like beats exert. Yeah. I'm not thrilled with Ronus's stalwart in a green blue deck, and I'm not thrilled with it in a green black deck. Yeah, I just think that's very interesting that like we even after our our common review that was week one, and then week three we were like, okay, let's reevaluate. We were still on stalwart as second best common in green. Yeah. I think the reason those Oasis Ritualist and Bitterbow Sharpshooters have taken over slots two and three for me is that they're good with green being paired with any color. Yeah. As opposed to Ronus' style where I'm really only happy with it being paired with green, white, or green, red. Yeah. You have a, you have an interesting Aftermath card here listed in our show notes. You want to talk about this? I do, yeah. Uh, do you think Reason to Believe is good in this deck? So Reason to Believe is the Aftermath rare. It's uh, Reason is a single blue, scry three, and Believe is four and a green to reveal the top card of your library. If it's a re- or not even reveal, I think look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, you may put it into play. If not, nothing happens. So no is the answer. I think this is coming off of Sam Black's Day 2 Pro Tour deck. Is that right? Yeah, but I think I, I would disagree. I Well, good. All right, so... <laughs> I, I, okay so the answer to that question is it good in the deck no is it playable in the deck i think the answer to that question is yes depending on the version of the deck that you have i think there's probably some versions that wouldn't hate playing a reason to believe and there's probably some versions that wouldn't want it so i think one thing to think about is that this is not an aftermath card this is a, you have to cast both of these effects in the same turn right yes so like you this is a six drop in your deck it's a blue-green... What do what you going to say? Well, I, you could... There's a world where you could cast Reason on, like, turn three or turn four and know you're going to hit your land drops based on cards in your hand and set it up a couple turns later. But you had the... But then your top three cards have to be, like, things that you all want to see eventually. Yeah, or you have to put cards you don't want to draw in front of the creatures yeah, that, that you want to believe great. in, too. <laughs> seems great to me. I feel like I would rather just play Reason in a blue-red spells deck than I would play Reason to Believe in this five color deck interesting i've not done it yet i've seen uh you know we talk a lot of people in twitch chat and i've seen dc sports post deck lists where i think reason to believe looks fine in his deck and sam black made it work and i think it looked fine in sam black's deck i don't think it's unplayable in these decks i think it's a card you should be open to putting in your deck i've never cast the card i've had it cast against me and has whiffed mostly because people are casting reason and believe separately and you just can't do that Right, I, I would agree. I, I've also never cast the card, but I, I'm on the lookout for it in this deck, like for if I see it and if I think the deck wants it. All right. So this deck is obviously the nuts, right? You just like can't beat it. Uh, that's false. <laughs> this deck, this deck is very vulnerable to aggressive decks and very vulnerable to a lot of specific sideboard cards. So do you want to do you want to run down how to play against this deck, which I All think right. we both have very good experience with because we both drafted this deck a bunch and we both lost with it a fair amount as yeah. well as winning with it a fair amount. Well, so so I think the thing we can say is that the deck is its own worst enemy. Oftentimes the opponent can do very little and you may fumble depending on how good or how poor your mana base is. But that being said, let's say you have a good to great version of this deck and you're mulliganing appropriately. That's another side note I want to make is I think you need to mulligan more with these kinds of decks just because of how your mana to cards are going to match up. Like you have a lot of moving pieces of card draw, fixing, bombs, and defensive speed that you need a hand that sort of has good mix of all of those, and that doesn't come up a lot. So I think you're going to be mulliganing with these decks more often than not. What do you think about that? That sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. So I, I just think be on the lookout for that and don't be stubborn, and I'm mostly giving myself that note. <laughs> Secondly, Ritualist is the card that enables this deck mostly, in my opinion. I would agree. If, if, some, if your opponent plays a turn four Ritualist, even if you don't know they're on this deck... I am very interested in killing a turn four Oasis Ritualist out of my opponent. Right, the old adage, bolt the bird, I think, puncturing blow the Ritualist. Or electrify is, the Ritualist. Yeah, electrify, yeah. electrify the Ritualist is uh, the Hour of Devastation equivalent. So th- this is the card that turns on this deck that allows them to do all the things they're trying to do. So the best way to deny them from doing that is to kill the Ritualist. I think you should side, aggressively side in Artifact and Enchantment Hate where appropriate. Uh, this deck often has cards like Edifice of Authority, Godfarer's Gift in it. 
walls to blow up to take away their defensive speed to let mm-hmm. you punch through. Enchantment Hate uh, can blow up Gift of Paradise, can blow up cards like Sandworm Convergence, can blow up cards like Overwhelming Splendor, which are frequently uh, ways ways this deck wins the game. Yeah. And I think also uh, land destruction can be appropriate as well. Like you can get you can get rid of a land that's enchanted with Gifts of Paradise, and you can also get rid of a lot of times this deck might have an if near dead lands if they've got sort of the uh, the hour of whatchamacallit, the green hour. Uh, our promise, yeah. Our promise. If they've got that and a desert package with if near dead lands, uh, I think it can be an appropriate to side in like land destruction as well. There's yeah, and I think that, is there more land destruction other than violent impact? I don't think so, but violent impact does double duty also with artifacts and lands. So I think it's a very real card to sideboard in against this deck. I also think not only blowing up lands that have a gift attached to them or if near dead lands, but what if your opponent is on the I have an, one island and I've got evolving wilds and traveler's amulet to find that one island. If they put that into play before they're casting their splash card and you blow it up, you've removed that splash from their deck. Yeah, for sure. And then I think if you can't go over the top of this deck, like if if they're getting to turns 7 and 8 and they're doing their nonsense with their river hoopoo, if you can't beat that board state, then you need to sideboard to be able to go under them to get them to pressure to, to pressure their life total enough before they get to that state that they can't do all the things they're trying to do. Yep, I would agree. And I think even if that means playing some suboptimal cards, that might be your best chance to win the game against this deck. If like if you're a mid-range deck and they're a late-game deck and you're not putting that much pressure on them, sometimes you might need to play some bad 2 and 3 drops to try to get in underneath the deck. Yeah. Do you want to wrap up the episode there? I think so. I think that's a lot. That's that's all I feel like i have to say about drafting this deck it's super fun to play you get to like do all the things you want to do you get to get to the late game you get to draw more cards than your opponent play more powerful spells than them and sometimes win yeah for sure so quick recap pieces that the deck wants bombs fixing removal card draw and then defensive speed and maybe some incidental life gain and if you can balance getting equal amounts of those cards and having enough fixing i think you're well on your way to a very good version of the deck yeah, I don't. Th- well, I I, I want to say I don't think it's e- don't think you mean equal amounts of those cards, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no. But a, a, Appropri- a ba- a appropriate ratios yeah, of those cards. Appropriate <laughs> yeah. So next next week we're gonna look forward to. Uh, we keep saying this, but potentially sealed. Eventually, <laughs> I am going to GP Indy, and I do need to practice for it. And eventually, I will start doing sealed. The problem is, I just drafting is my love, and I feel like I'm cheating on drafting if I play sealed. So at some point, I'm going to have to bite the bullet and start doing some seals here, and then we will discuss what I've learned. So that's potentially next week, or if we think of another topic that we like better, we could reserve the right to do that as well. Or if there's an episode topic that you think uh, would be good for this format, message us on Twitter or Twitch or send us an email. Yeah, for sure. And a huge thanks to Salty Pretzels for our intro and now also our outro music. He totally knocked it out of the park with our new outro music it's awesome i've listened to it like probably 10 or 15 times already um so if you've made it this far into the episode make sure you stick around and hear our new outro music um if people want to get in touch with us just to spam our twitch chat or shoot us a message on twitter uh you can find us on twitch at i am twitch.tv slash lord tupperware ben is twitch.tv slash mr metronome that's mr spelled out m-i-s-t-e-r uh both of those names are also our handles on twitter so please feel free to give us a message on either of those formats Absolutely. And if anybody's got feedback about the show or questions, email us at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed the show so far, uh, tell your friends. Tell your tell your card players at your local shop. Try to get the word out. Uh, we would like more listeners every week. That would be great. Yeah. And if you are listening on iTunes, writing a review on there is huge. So please, uh, if it doesn't take too much time out of your day, consider doing that. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later.